If you happen to be new among us, you might be thinking, I hope he doesn't ask me to do the reading. Um, you don't have to recite it the way that uh, Philip so marvellously does. Um, you are allowed to read it off the pages. But when we get to a passage like this one, knowing that Philip can uh, do the entire Gospel of Mark, um, it's great for readings like this just to make a, ourselves a little bit more alert to it and um, and I thought uh, that opened it up again today. Um, I want to concentrate on this, the healing of the demon-possessed man is how it's uh, the headline of it in the New International Version and I know what else you're saying, you're saying he never gets to the end of the chapter does he, he just does the first story and then goes on to the next one. Well who knows, maybe when we get back into the church in a, well, in a few weeks time we might be uh, getting to Easter and it might be a while before we get back to Mark but I will, I promise um, get to the end of a chapter at some point. This is uh, another fascinating story. The, the, the scene that's set is fascinating um, because it's different than everywhere else. If you remember back, if you can, to Christmas, we talked about Jesus coming right on the edges and then moving towards the center. And here we are in chapter five, after the first campaign that we would have mentioned last week uh, in the parable of the sower, where we took time to reflect with uh, those parables in chapter four, it seems that we're away onto the fringes again. Here is Jesus going across to, well, we're not even sure where it is. It could be the Garazines, it could have been the Gadarenes, it could be the Gergazines, somewhere on the east side um, of the lake probably where the land would rise up to the Golan Heights. And in those days, as in these days, there are people fighting for this bit of land. And it's not Jewish land. You can tell by the pigs, perhaps. 2,000 of them in the area that wouldn't have been too necessary uh, around Jerusalem at that point in time. Uh, we can tell that this is a place where perhaps there's a, more of a Gentile region. And uh, the demon-possessed man comes out of the tombs, another unclean scenario uh, in this picture. Uh, Mark builds it up. Mark doesn't spend a lot of time in his gospel building very much up, but he gives us maybe a clearer outline of where, well, when, when we say that, we don't know what the actual uh, town is, but the, the, the situation that's going on around about is, is really well um, uh, described to us. And we could look at it as, again, I've looked at it, and this has been the wonderful thing about getting six, seven, eight commentaries out and reading right across the board on, on um, Mark's gospel, because the truth of the matter is that I have found new stuff every week that I never heard about. And I think we get to it here. We could say, here was a man who was demon-possessed, there was lots of demons in him, Jesus came, he cast them out, and then why did these people not accept Jesus as their saviour but tell him to leave? We could do that part of the story. But there's something else in here that I don't see how we cannot, uh, we have to look at and how we, we haven't seen before. And some commentators never even get near this. Um, but I beg you to, to listen for a moment or two. Um, Tom Wright and his Every Day with Mark commentary, or Mark for Everyone, you know that series that he does. Um, and he does it as Tom, so it's a little bit more folksy than his, um, his other writings. But um, NT, when it's something intelligent, Tom, when I can understand it. Um, yeah, some of you get the drift. Um, uh, he, and I have to say, sometimes I've been quite disappointed with his commentaries and Mark as we've gone through, but in this one, he seems to hit on something that I think we've got to sit around for a moment or two today. He talks about how this has got to be seen as 
deeply symbolic. He says, not only is it a dramatic story, but it's deeply symbolic. Many in the area, Jews and non-Jews alike, must have longed to have seen the Romans pushed into the Mediterranean Sea. If they'd read the books like Daniel, they would understand the sea is a place where monsters come from. Rome was the monster of all monsters. Rome was unclean. Rome was a nation of pigs. The best place for Rome was back in the sea. Well, why does he talk about Rome here? Well, it's in the naming of the powers. We've talked about the naming of the powers a few times as we've gone along this journey of the gospel. The naming of the powers, what are you called? I'm called Legion. What would Legion be? Legion would be Roman soldiers, about 6,000 in number. And there are probably, they would say, the commentators that look at this part of it, say there was four or five legions of soldiers that would have been through this area around that time and were in control of the area. As there were demons invading and taking over this one human being, so the Romans were invading and taking over this little area. And N.T. Wright and other commentators would say, we've got to begin to look at the symbolism of this. I couldn't, I have to say, help as I read it from that light. Um, going back to my story keepers, I don't know whether you have children at the age of my children, but story keepers, the TV series, when Caitlin was about two, was all the rage, and we got all the videos. And It's a, it's a brilliant little series of uh, television programs that basically take uh, this little family and all that they adopt um, in Rome around 60 to 70 AD, and they're Christians and they're running away from the Romans and the Romans are trying to get them and they have to do all this subversive stuff to stay away from the Romans. Really great stuff. And every now and again they tell stories to help them. Jesus stories. Somebody will come and they'll, they'll, just as they're at the midst of this crisis, they'll say, well, there was a story that Jesus once told. And I couldn't help but thinking that in the midst of the story keepers, in the midst of those Christians from 50 to 100 AD where the Romans were coming down on them and were doing all kinds of things to them, that this particular story has to be seen as Jesus saying to them, listen, ultimately I am Lord and ultimately I can get rid of the demons within and without. Um, Ched Myers would say, I think it's Ched Myers and his commentary would say that just as things can take, well, that the imperial forces, whatever they are, if they come in and take over a country, they don't only take over the outside of humanity, but sometimes they can take over the very inside of the humans that they have taken over. I guess we could see that in some of the oppressive regimes that are around the world, where they don't only take over the land, they don't over, only take over the wealth but they oppress the people and make them less than human and try to squeeze out their humanity and their freedom and their God-given preciousness. It seems to me that this must have been seen by the early Christians as a symbolism of the fact that the Romans would ultimately be pushed out and they wouldn't rule forever. There's a naming of the powers. Jesus asks for the name and then Jesus rids this man of the powers that have overtaken him. However, as I was thinking about him, I remembered this phrase from Ian Crichton Smith. If that's how you pronounce it. Scottish writer, I think, from the Isle of Lewis. 
and he, he, he wrote this once. He said, sometimes when I walk the streets of Glasgow, I see old women passing by, bowed down with shopping bags. And I ask myself, what force made this woman what she is? What is her history? It is the holiness of the person that we have lost, the holiness of life itself, the inexplicable mystery and wonder of it, its strangeness, its tenderness. Roman soldiers, the legions who come into this area, did not stop to ponder the holiness of the people that they were raping and murdering and pillaging. They didn't stop to wonder the holiness that they were shattering. They didn't stop to wonder at the mystery and the strangeness of people made in the image of God. And what if today, do we ever stop and wonder what force made this? The demon-possessed man. What force caused him to be so overcome with demons? Definitely the Romans had a part to play, we would believe and think. But what about countries around the world today? What about the scenes we see in television? What force made this? I was somewhere recently, not going to say where, but I was somewhere recently, and on the stage there was a young girl who I knew to be from the Middle East. And I wondered as I watched her at her age, what force would cause people who grew up where her family grew up to strap bombs to themselves and blow themselves up? What force would make that? What force causes the townships that I go to in South Africa or used to go to until you prized me away, but I'm not saying, I'm not going to take some of you back there. Um, what forced them to live in shacks? What forces the crime around them that's evident every day that we're on the township? Can't walk up that street because there was a murder last night. What force? And we've got to ask the question, is it humanity overcome with evil, losing sight of the tenderness and the holiness and the unique strangeness of others? What force makes the students I had anorexic or self-harming, which was on the news this week? What forces are there in our society that would make that just to be increasing more and more and more as the, the, week, the years go past. We've got to start asking ourselves, what are the things that we're allowing in our society that are actually encroaching into the lives of our children, our young people and ourselves that are causing us almost to be, I'll not say we're screaming out demon-possessed, have we been damaged in our holiness? Of course we have. By the decisions that others make, but maybe even of the decisions that we are complicit in. Frederick Beekner, when he talks about sin, he says, it pushes everything outwards towards the periphery. Other people, God, the world, society and nature. Great image of the demon-possessed man. 
What had evil done in his life? What had sin done in his life? It had pushed everything out towards the periphery. There he was, hiding away in the tombs, away from everybody else, away from people, away from God, away from the world, society, and even nature. Whatever you call the greater which you're a part, sin is whatever you do or fail to do that pushes others away, that widens the gap between you and them, because that also widens the gap within yourself. Whether it's Roman soldiers, whether it's the decisions we make in our society, whether it's the decisions we maybe make in our own churches or family life or among our friends, when we start to push people away, we cause all kinds of things to happen that could lead to all kinds of horrendous results. And what Jesus brings in is in the midst of this sin force, he brings in the kingdom this grace force that brings people together. What grace does is that it takes the opposite effect of sin that pushes to the periphery. It pushes people in to family, to fellowship, to friendship, to love, to mercy, to compassion. And we in the Holy Land on Wednesday have to become a grace force but we do need to ask ourselves, what force has made this? I was in colleges in the United States just three weeks ago and I was sharing with them what we were going to do on St. Patrick's Day. That our university, this one and the one in Jordanstown, would have to put in tens of hundreds of thousands of pounds. The police, the council, chaplaincies, churches to try and control the students of those universities. Is this very far from what happened in the east of Galilee? And what force has made it? We've got to get right down to the core of what has made it and we need to make grace the great overcomer, conqueror, the new invader that instead of pushing people out, draws people in and gives them back their humanity. Very quickly, but with not a lot of time, I never cease to be amazed at the response of the local people. But maybe, if it had been us, we shouldn't be surprised. Remember what we said at Christmas, and he keeps coming back into our thoughts. Herod was the one who had the truth. But instead of following the Jesus who he knew was the truth, he tried to kill him. Here are these guys that come down to see who must be in their little holy land. Well, literally, um, holy land. The one who was the worst demon-possessed, legionified. They come down and he's sitting. All calm, restored to his holiness, his, ten his tenderness, his strange preciousness in being made in the image of God. Just a normal human being again. You must want to go, wow, who, whatever, whatever caused this, I want to be a part of it. Instead, get away from here. Because when we start to bring the sin in from the regions and we start to make fellowship and we start to make a kingdom and we start to make shalom, some people will take the hit. And nobody wants to take the hit. They would rather be demon-possessed 
they would be rather be Roman possessed than they would to give up what they have or have their lives disturbed out of their comfort. As sin force moves to grace force, it may take us out of our comfort. We may have to invite somebody for tea. And that might mean that I have to get all those commentaries off the table and somewhere tidier when people are coming in. Or much more major than that in our lives. If the kingdom's going to come and the demons are going to be cast, and the invaders who make demon-possessed humans are going to be sent into pigs. And shalom's going to come on earth. Maybe Jesus was right when he kept saying to them, will you count the cost before you follow? I know you think it's going to, will you count the cost? Because we might not be up for that cost. What is the cost in the Holy Land? What is the cost for us to be witnesses here? Are we up for it? What force made this? Can I ask you this week as you go out and you look around at the people around you or you look at the television news or you read the papers, what force made this? And how does grace force of the kingdom restore the holiness and the tenderness of humanity? pray Lord we ask you to forgive us when some of the decisions that we made this week some of the things that we said or did pushed people away from the center to the periphery maybe just inches but it was a pushing away we ask you, Lord, to forgive us and to take that sin force from our lives and in its place put a grace force that will draw people in, that will show compassion and mercy and grace and love and be the power that might bring shalom and the kingdom. into our neighborhoods. We thank you that when we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. But more than that, you purify us from unrighteousness. So Lord, help us to wrestle this week with those two things that could be going on. Sin force, grace force. And give us your spirit's courage to follow Jesus. In his name we pray.